0: still a highly fragmented industry. So that the big names that you know, they still only control about 30, 35% of the overall self-storage market. So that still leaves about 50% of the overall self-storage market, Jason, is still moms and pops. These are onesie-twosie facility owners. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey.
1: Without a strong why, Hi everyone. I'm Jason Bellara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Tom Dunkel. Tom has a background in corporate finance and 25 years of real estate and investment experience. Um, Tom brings his extensive experience to the Bellrose Asset Management. And Tom, as I mentioned, your, your bio very impressive. But but I want I want the listener to get to hear it from you. So. Um, I'm kind of leave it there. And I'm going to just say, first of all, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today, taking out the time uh, in your morning and coming to share our, your story. So thank you very much.
0: Yeah, Jason, thank you very much. Uh, great to be uh, with you and the listeners. And uh, yeah, happy to happy to jump right into to my background. Um, so I started out after business school in corporate America, uh, like a lot of a lot of folks, you know, just trying to you know battle my way up the corporate ladder. Uh, thankfully, I was uh, I was found myself in a great position. I was doing mergers and acquisitions and uh, big capital raises uh, for an aerospace company uh, that was growing aggressively through acquisition and. I was just surrounded by such amazing people. Um, the, the young CEO of the company was a Harvard undergrad, Harvard MBA, first Boston investment banking guy with just a big vision. Uh, my boss uh, was a uh, gold glove boxer at the Naval Academy, did his tour in the Marines and then went to Wharton uh, Business School um, and just an amazing, compassionate leader. So and then I was around some amazing financial people as well, and so I really learned the nuts and bolts of uh, of of deals and of growing companies and uh, and building businesses. So uh, so I was thankful to have that uh, foundation uh, early on in my career, but I knew uh, that climbing the corporate ladder and just clawing through all that uh, was just not ultimately for me. So fast forward about uh, 12 years and I find myself uh, actually getting fired from my corporate job, uh, which was the kick in the pants that I needed Jason to finally go out on my own uh, and and start my entrepreneurial career. So that was 2006. Uh, 2006, of course, probably not the best time uh, to get into real estate, but that's what I did. I jumped in with both feet and uh, a pile of cash that I had s- saved along my corporate uh, life. and uh, proceeded to, you know, blow through all that the next few years as the market uh, tanked. And I uh, learned a lot of hard uh, lessons those first few years. But, uh, you know, I persisted and uh, just knew that I didn't want to go back to corporate America. So I just stuck it out, started, finding niches and great people to surround myself with. And uh, thankfully, you know, now I'm 17 years into my entrepreneurial career, um, built a a really great team. Uh, We're now in self-storage, which we found uh, about the 2017, 2018 timeframe. We didn't buy our first facility till 2020, uh, but we're now about to close on our 14th property. And, um, you know, we're now I'm just in a position where, uh, you know, just looking to continue to build the team, build the marketing and uh, and all those kinds of things. So um, that's the, the high level overview. Happy to dive into any of the uh, details uh, that you might want to get into, Jason. Yeah,
1: thank you for sharing that. And, and I think, you know, there's a couple of things that are interesting there to me, and I think maybe relevant to to the journey, but I, I do want to kind of go back to, uh, you know, early, early corporate America where mm-hmm. you were in your career and you were in mergers and acquisitions. And I think that I find that, you know, a lot of people that come on the podcast have come from a different career, right? They didn't, you know, they weren't born as a real estate investor, they didn't even mm. probably go to college to be a real estate investor. That kind of thing. Um, mm. We just come to it from another um, another space. But the background of of mergers and acquisitions, and as well as raising capital, are obviously very very relevant to um, getting into real estate uh, and, and real estate investing. So, do you feel like that helped prepare you for that transition? What 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 sort of skill sets what what things that you learned sort of early on do you think helped um kind of propel you through this
0: this journey in in uh, in real estate investing yeah great question uh yeah without a doubt uh learning kind of the the nuts and bolts of of the financial markets uh financial modeling um, and not only that, but but uh, the, the research that goes into developing and substantiating your projections, because of course, we're not living in a vacuum, we are raising institutional capital. So I had to be able to defend my uh, models, not only to our in, internal C-suite, but also to our private equity uh, sources and our banks and, and uh, outside investors. So um, you know, I was a spreadsheet nerd, so I, I taught myself uh, how to really use Excel and um, and how to build like big models that span, you know, multiple multiple tabs and link together and and all that stuff. And uh, but what's funny, Jason, is that you know, even even though I still use those skills to this day. It's really what any first year uh, you know, business major is going to learn in like finance 101, right? It's discounted cash flow analysis. and uh, but the but the trick and the and kind of the art of it that I've learned over the years is is like I was saying, the 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 uh, the research uh, that needs to go into every assumption because at the end of the day, you know you can I can make the model say whatever I want it to say right uh, I can tweak a, an exit cap rate or a revenue growth number or you know this or that and I can I can I can make the model spit out you know these great numbers but if they're not real and they're not uh, I can't substantiate them, you know. I can't go to my investors with a straight face and say, "Hey, you know, this is what we're going to do, and these are the returns you're going to make." So, I learned very, very, very early on that under promising and over delivering, while it might hurt in at the time that you're doing it, it's really the way to play the long game in real estate and any other uh, venture where you're, you know, you're raising capital and and making projections. Because, um, you know, at the these days, right, we're investing in our own deals alongside of our investors. So, uh, you know, we're not we're certainly not out to fool ourselves or anybody else with some funky models. And, you know, sadly, that's something that uh, it, it can happen. Right. Uh, especially these big funds like we're in self-storage. Right. Self-storage has been. Uh, you know, very much in the news. It's very much in the spotlight recently. There's been tons and tons of institutional capital raised to acquire self-storage facilities. And now the market's kind of dried up and here are these big funds with all this money sitting there. I mean, they're going to be tempted to tweak their models so that the returns, you know, look good because they have to deploy this capital. The last thing they want to do is return, Capital to their investors, so you know I, I would say that you know so it's more than just putting a model together and making the projections. It's you know can you look at your investors uh, and for us right our investors are you know they're trying to reach financial freedom they're trying to build wealth you know maybe some generational wealth and you know I need to be able to look at them as the chief investment officer at Belrose Storage Group I need to be able to look at them in the eye and say yes I believe that these projections are reasonable and achievable. And is there risk? Of course, there's risk. And I'll be the first one to point out what I think the risks are in the model. But I'll also be able to point out what the upside potential is so that we can hopefully limit the downside and and maximize the upside. But that's, that's really the story. I, I don't want people out there who are sponsors or, you know, raising capital. I don't want them out there, you know, over-promising and under-delivering. You need to do it the other way around, even though it might hurt in the short run.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great point because I think it does happen, certainly. And I think it's very tempting, especially when you're sort of early on uh, in your capital raising journey in the sense that you feel like in order to get someone to sort of get on board with your investment, you have to show these, you know, sort of... <laughs> really outsized returns that are you know sort of you think that you need to make the returns projections look better than everybody else's return projections that's kind of mm-hmm. this um i think mentality that people get into and and uh frankly i was tempted to do it at the beginning too but but you know cuz you would see these other deals uh put out there these other offerings and and people would have these mm-hmm these high numbers and it's like i'm not you know i'm underwriting and not getting that i don't understand how they're (laughs) doing that and and really at this point now i when i see returns that look you know sort of almost too high i i personally Mm -hmm. find it hard to believe i'm like something must be (laughs) something must be off because how can this person get such better returns than everybody else and i mean it may be valid, maybe they got the best deal in the world. But I think just in terms of what you're saying to play that long game, you know, you'd, you'd much rather under promise and over deliver than the opposite, right? Like, you, no investor is going to be upset that you give them more money than you said you were going to. But uh, if you give them less, then they, they certainly will notice that. So I think it's just kind of that, um, are you trying to do one deal? Or are you trying to just are you trying to make this a career? You know that where you where you can last. So um, I love that you pointed that out. Um, you said that you started looking at self storage in twenty seventeen, but you kind of dove into real estate in two thousand seven. So where did you start? What what were you doing at first? Um, and we'll we'll get to that sort of transition from uh, into self storage too. But I'm just curious, kind of how it how it began for you.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think like a lot of folks out there who who jump into real estate, I, I started out doing um residential wholesaling, uh, picked up uh some rental properties. I grew my rental portfolio to uh, about 15 units uh and um did some uh fix and you know fix and flip kind of things, you know, renovate properties and, and resell them. Um and so that that was became really difficult you know when the bottoms dropping out of the market and capitals becoming scarce and that kind of thing and i had a i was uh, you know and anyone who knows about the residential wholesaling business knows that you know there's a, there's a big marketing uh in, there's a big marketing expense each month so that was really you know just burning 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 through my cash as i'm you know waiting for properties to sell or you know this or that so so when that really came to a halt for me in 2009, I started, um, I had been looking for, you know, what's the next thing? Cause this, I knew it just wasn't a long-term play for me to be in residential. So I started, uh, so I, 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 started hearing about uh, distressed mortgage notes. Uh, so I, I, Bought a couple of reperforming uh distressed, uh, well, I guess they were not distressed anymore. They were reperforming loans. Um uh, and uh that just sort of piqued my interest because my prior uh corporate background in finance, um, so it kind of married up real estate with finance. And so that really um uh, kind of clicked with me. So uh at that same time, I at a I was at a real estate networking event, and I met a guy named Joe Downs, and you know we've been business partners ever since. So we've been partners over thirteen years now, and we've built a company called US Mortgage Resolution, uh, which now has uh, purchased over uh, twelve thousand loans, and we've generated over fifty three million dollars of revenue in that business over the years. Um, so we started out with $12,000 and bought six loans and uh, just sort of grew from there. But uh, along the way, you know, we realized um, as as great as that business was, it was very volatile, very unpredictable. And so me being you know, a business school guy, it's like, well, I can't build a business plan. I can't build KPIs uh, around this business because we're really just at the at the uh, whim of the banks that are selling these loans. You know, we can't go, we can't knock on the door of Big Bank USA and say, "Hey, sell us some loans." You know, they work at their own pace, and so it made it really challenging uh, to build to really build a sustainable business there. So along the way, we've been looking at other asset classes. We we had a hard money lending business. Um, that we failed at. And and so since we failed at it, we thought, well, let's try that again. And then we failed at it again. (laughs) So we just couldn't get the right people, the right traction. Uh, We were partners in a title company for a little while. That was just, uh, that's a really difficult business. Um, So when we discovered self-storage in like 2017, 2018, we were like, you know what, this business. Is you know we did our research right. We got educated. It's very it's very steady, very predictable. Um, in good times, bad times, everywhere in between, it's a very steady asset class. And we thought that this is the type of asset class where we could really uh, build a predictable business. We could build a team. We could build systems and processes uh, to uh, really take advantage of this highly fragmented but growing. Uh, market and self storage, so uh, so that's kind of what led us to storage, and and I think we approached it the right way, and it's and it seems to be paying dividends now, Jason. Which is, you know, we didn't we didn't jump right in and buy, and buy a facility, right? We we took our time to get educated. So we joined a self storage mastermind group in 2019, and it was through that mastermind learning process that we discovered hey, you know, we've got some holes in our team. Like Joe and I are good finance and, and business and, um, uh, and kind of visionary kind of guys. And um, we can raise the capital and we can do the due diligence and the underwriting and stuff. But we, we, didn't, we were not good at finding the, these facilities and we certainly didn't know how to operate them. <laughs> so through our mastermind community, we were able to fill those two key gaps. And that gave us then the confidence to go out and, and buy our first facility in 2020. And, and then we've just been on a, on a roll since then.
1: That's, I mean, those are really great points. And I think a lot of people um, should probably rewind that little section and, and hear that again, <laughs> in terms of getting the right team members in place around you. And, and I think, you know, fortunately you had uh, a number of years of, of, business experience that i'm sure you know maybe it's a different team in self-storage than it might be in node investing or um wholesaling or you know whatever the case may be but Mm -hmm. it's definitely important to recognize as you said where those holes are where where you're you're lacking in your strategy and it's it's because at the end of the day if you really want to grow a business you it's nearly impossible to do it all yourself. So you've got to figure out what, what pieces are you missing from your own, you know, if, even if you have a partner, you, 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 you may have some, uh, some complementary strengths, but you may also have some similarities. And it's like, how do we fill in those gaps um, with, with other talent? And then I think that's an important piece to, to really take note. How did you, Tactically, how did you do that? I know you said you you were in the mastermind, realized, you know, these are the things that we need. But then what did you do to go about finding those those you know people to fill those spots? What what was your process there as, as someone who has done a lot, you know, in the business world?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. I think it was just a matter of um, just uh, kind of taking a, a who, not how. Um, kind of mindset to our problem solving. So uh, there's a great book out there called Who Not How. And actually the book didn't even exist back then, but I, having now read the book, I'm like, oh, that's kind of what we did. But when Joe and I, through the mastermind process, discovered that we had these these uh, gaps in our team, we just started talking to people like, uh, hey, who do you know that is really good at lead generation, you know, finding these off-market deals? And through just networking and talking to our mastermind peers, uh, we found a guy named Tim Kane. And we were talking to Tim and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm generating all these leads, but I'm not really very good on the finance side and the capital raising side. And we're like, okay, we are. <laughs> so and then so we, we brought Tim in and we're like, okay, well, all right, now we can find the deals. We can get them underwritten and close what are we going to do about operations? So we started talking to our mastermind group about operations. Like we need somebody that can help us transition from the old owner to our new management platform. And then really, you know, get us started with a manager and marketing and, you know, getting us on Google ads and SEO and uh, you know, all those kinds of things. And so again, through that same kind of networking and, and discussion process, we found Catherine East. Catherine is uh as a nationally known uh, speaker and operations expert in the self-storage industry. She's been a consultant on hundreds of facilities all over the country for the past more than 15 years. And so we brought her on the team, even though she's not technically, you know, a, an employee or, you know, uh, you know, a partner or anything like that. She is on our team and I would, and that's something I would, Um, express to folks out there that are looking to build a team is you don't have, not everyone has to be, you know, under your roof. (laughs) They can be external to your business, but still be a super valuable team member. So, you know, any of your, uh, you know, bankers, brokers, attorneys, mentors, coaches, consultants. I mean, all those people are just so critical to the growth of your business, um, but they don't have to be, you know, they don't have to wear my Belrose storage group shirt <laughs> to, to be on the team. So, so we found Catherine and uh yeah. And so we've been working with her ever since and uh, she's, she's been with us every step of the way. And, uh, and so she's bringing her team and her expertise to bear and, so, it's really uh, finding those different pieces of the puzzle. But, yeah, I mean, it just came down jason to to just networking and being around the right people. Uh, and that's that's made a huge difference for us, yeah, and I think the 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 networking piece
1: is is super important. Um, and also just as an aside, who not how is is maybe my favorite book. I, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of in terms of business and entrepreneurship, it just in 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 large part because mm-hmm. it's had such an impact on a mindset shift for me because I, I definitely have been a, a DIY guy. but your sure. your point about the team members don't have to, you know, wear your shirt is is really a a great point because and and I think it's something that, like for me, coming into this world from outside, like, there are certain industries where it's everything is very separated right it's like this this is my company all the people that are involved in my company work you know here in this building that kind of thing and but what what i find is really cool about real estate is that sort of collaborative nature and the the ability to just find people that have really a, a specialized skill and they can actually help Multiple people rather than just being their own, you know, being you know sort of un, under one roof, as you said. I, I just think it's it's a really great point that I didn't probably fully comprehend until sort of really um, diving into to real estate and 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 what that that sort of abundance mindset is and where people are, are, you know, very willing to, to help each other. And you have to like a lot of these, um, mastermind groups and it's like, you, you know, you're finding team members that way and, and just kind of realizing that, that how important that can be to business growth and, and, Probably there are industries that are really the, the the industries that are missing that are probably not going to have that you know sort of high level growth. I think the, the collaborative efforts um, can really be a win for for everybody. So I, I think I, I love hearing that out about your story because I think it it does get missed certainly in in other um, other industries to to be so closed off to to those opportunities and those the the people that are, you know, accessible Mm -hmm. to help you they may just not be on your payroll essentially so that's right yeah with with your sort of journey into self-storage the the asset class i think is um you know becoming more and more popular um maybe not becoming maybe it's it's become pretty popular but i think you know even in in 27 2018 uh up to 2020, it, it really was very, very mom and pop. And so I don't know, maybe you could speak about how you see self-storage at sort of the state right now, and, the, and then sort of what you see happening going forward uh, in that in that specific asset class.
0: Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the, the short answer, Jason, is that it is still a highly fragmented industry. So the, the big names that you know... Public storage, extra space, cube smart, you know, life storage, th- those big brand name companies. Uh, even though they've been growing and expanding and and acquiring existing facilities and building new ones, you know, they still only control about 30, 35% of the overall self-storage market. And then there's kind of a layer be- beneath them, which are you know larger regional players. Um I don't know that Bellrose Storage Group quite fits into the larger regional player uh, just yet, but, you know, we're working toward that. Um, and that's only maybe another, you know, 10 or 15%. So that still leaves about 50% of the overall self-storage market, Jason, still moms and pops. These are two-z facility owners. Um, and And what is exciting about that is... These are folks who aren't professional operators. They're not running their storage facility like a finely tuned business. Mm Their goal at the end of the day is just to keep their units full and they get their mailbox money and that and they and then they just kind of go on with their lives because the last thing they want to do is have to deal with the delinquency, have to deal with turnover, have to deal with marketing, have to deal with, uh, you know, any kind of uh, advertising and that sort of thing. So so they leave their rates artificially low. So that they leave their units full and anybody out there who's in any kind of fixed cost industry like hotels or airlines or anything like that, if you're full, that's bad thing, you, you, you're not charging enough. Uh, and and you also want to make sure you have units available. So when someone does come in, you, you're not turning them away. So when we start getting to about 90% phys- of physical occupancy, we really start analyzing. Well, we're always analyzing, but that's when we really start looking at changing um, our rates, uh, because we want to make sure that we're really working that, you know, that supply and demand curve, you know, kind of back to. You know, your first year of uh, of business school is, you know, finance 101 and economics 101. So <laughs> that's all we're really doing. But but we do come in with our professional management team. Like I mentioned, you know, Catherine East is an expert in the space for many years. Um, and then we're using software. Um, believe it or not, a lot of a lot of moms and pops, you know, they might have software in place, but they might be using about 10 percent of its capabilities. Um, You know, they're not really pushing marketing. They're not using like something simple like Facebook ads, right? Uh, To to really drive that demand and make sure that they are pushing the rates. Um, Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're looking at what's the overall revenue, not just uh, is the occupancy 100%. Uh, so we're, we're looking at those KPIs at all, all of our facilities all the time, those key performance indicators. So it's physical occupancy, uh, economic occupancy, uh, delinquency, auto pay is a big one. We love getting customers on auto pay because then it becomes like a Planet Fitness membership where it becomes more of a pain in the butt to uh, cancel it than to just let it ride for another month or two. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and we're... and. And uh, those are the big things that that we're looking at. Uh, But we run it like a business and that that gives us the opportunity to take these mom and pop run facilities that are not being optimized and we can increase the value of those and generate a nice return uh, for our investors. Yeah, it's I mean, some some
1: really interesting points there. I think that the occupancy thing is. It's, it is funny. It's, you know, people <laughs> know, this goes back to, to just school or, or what, but like, you know, people love to see a hundred percent, you know, or, or as high in the nineties as you possibly can. But it's like, if you're at, you know, a hundred percent and you have a waiting list, whether it be self-storage or hotel or, or multifamily, you're Correct. actually not charging enough, right? You're not, you, you've, you've got to, to look at what, um, <laughs> what that number is, that creates, you know, slightly lower occupancy, but that means you're you're sort of maximizing the um, the revenue from each specific unit. So it it's I, I love that you brought that up because I think it's sometimes lost on people. And I don't know, you know, from a financing st- standpoint, exactly how it works in self storage, but I know for sure on the multifamily side even if you have 100% occupancy the the banks maximum going to give you credit for 95% and and probably realistically mm-hmm. more like a uh, a low 90s as far as what your occupancy is so it's mm-hmm. it's it doesn't necessarily benefit you to be 100% full and and honestly i hadn't thought about the part of that you mentioned where you want to have a spot for someone to go you know, if they come in looking, so you're not turning them away, I think that's actually a really great point. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's slightly more applicable to, to storage, but you know, who knows? I, I think these, sure. these kind of go cross, cross asset classes, these types of concepts, as you said, you know, sort of, sort mm-hmm. of um, <laughs> basic uh, finance and, and economics 101. So that's um, right. it's a, <laughs> a great point. What what challenges, what what pain points do you see in self-storage that you think would be, you know, you would
0: consider unique to that asset class? Ah, uh, unique to storage, huh? Well, um unique to storage. And they don't have uh, to be
1: unique, I guess. Maybe that's yeah, probably yeah. the wrong way to put it, but what what challenges do you feel like you run into in within your business?
0: Sure. Um yeah, so we're we're uh so here we are in you know July 2023 the the market's been tough, right? Interest rates are up. Um there's a disconnect between sellers and buyers in terms of value. Uh so the the market's definitely slowed down. Um and I'm very thankful <laughs> right now Jason that we uh we only across our entire portfolio we only have one variable rate loan. Uh, cuz i know some people got uh in a position where they took on some variable rate financing and uh you know those rates are way up now so um you know th- so that's made things very challenging not not only for self storage but but other asset classes as well um one thing uh, that is a kind of a derivative of the housing market right is is self storage demand so the fact that the housing market is slow right now you know, people are not moving around as much right now cuz you know financing is difficult you know, just like in commercial real estate and residential real estate if you know, financing is difficult home prices are high you know that that just uh, the, that combination just has caused a slowdown in the residential market which causes a slowdown um, in self storage because um, one of the drivers of self-storage demand is that kind of disruption where people are moving about the country and um and they need a place to store their stuff either temporarily or you know even for a longer period of time while they're you know r- adjusting their housing situation um I guess the 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 silver lining there though is that um over the past 40 years self-storage occupancy has, Kind of gently bounced between like eighty and ninety percent across uh, all facilities across the country. Meanwhile, over those same forty years, the economy has been going up and down and up and down and up and down everywhere in between. So you know, that's one of the things that attracted us to self storage is it is uh, resilient. I certainly won't say it's resistant to any kind of economic challenges, but it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is a resilient asset class. Um, And it does have low operating expenses. So uh, we are able to uh, run our facilities pretty lean. Um, So aside from taxes, insurance, and those kinds of things, uh, our payroll is generally pretty low because we do leverage technology. To uh, limit that expense, uh, so that does give us the flexibility in in the event that we need to lower our rates, we can still generate enough revenue to, to cover our expenses and our debt. So, uh, what you'll see there is that translates into virtually a zero percent default rate on self storage loans out there in the world, whereas you know office, retail, hotel. Um, you know they uh, they have some default higher default rates for sure and they're probably going to be going up here uh, as we head into some more economic headwinds. But um, you know our our challenges too are um, our, our development right. So we're trying to find markets where uh, it's kind of the Goldilocks situation, Jason, where. Uh, it's a growing market, but it's not growing too fast because if it's growing too fast, it's going to attract one of the big uh, real estate investment trusts, right? One of the REITs, public storage, extra space, et cetera. And they're going to build some 100,000, 200,000 square foot facility, and they're going to suck up all the demand in that market. Um, whereas on the other side, you know, we certainly don't want a, a, a declining population market because that just e- is going to erode a self-storage demand. Uh, so we like to find that Goldilocks situation where the market is strong but not, you know, super hot. Um, but th- that that can be challenging, right? In these, in these economic times. Um, you know, just finding that right market. So we do spend a lot of time when we do find a subject property, we spend a lot of time looking at the market, looking at the population, looking at the, uh, the economy. Is it a, is it a diversified economy? So are there lots of different sources of jobs? Um, because we certainly don't want to find ourselves in a one factory town and that factory goes out of business and the town goes out of business. So, uh, so we're looking at all, at all those factors, but, uh, you know, we're, of all the, you know, kind of the the bumps and challenges that are out there right now, I think self-storage is a, a very resilient asset class uh, that can, that can handle, uh, that can handle them. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense.
1: I mean, I guess, it so it sounds like there's maybe not a tremendous amount of, of unique uh, challenges because these are things that we see, you know, in multifamily as well. And, and, mm-hmm. but, but maybe, um, more st- maybe more stable, maybe more, um, you know, a, a, a lot less subject to the, the volatility that we might see in some of these other asset classes. Even though, yeah, in a market downturn, there's you know sort of affects everybody, but maybe not quite to the same extent. Um, it's very interesting. Well, Tom, I wanna I wanna switch gears uh, so I get time to ask you the questions I like to ask every guest. Uh, the first sure. one is uh, based on the name of the show. And so um, I'll ask you, what is your why? What what drives you? What sort of motivates you? Uh, you you've obviously had a lot of success in your career, but um, you're not stopping. You didn't, you're not retired. It doesn't sound like you're retiring
0: tomorrow. So what's your, <laughs> what keeps you motivated? Yeah, it's a great question, Jason. I think what keeps me motivated is just uh, just the desire to continue to, to learn and, and grow as a person. Um, especially now. So um, I know you've got little kids running around at home. Uh, you know, my kids are, are almost 21 and, and 18. So, you know, they're kind of uh, heading off into the world. And of course, you know, thanks to my entrepreneurial uh, career, I was able to spend a ton of time with them uh, while they were growing up. But, you know, now they're they're leaving the nest. And uh, so now it, it it has caused me, Jason, to kind of rethink and shift my why a little bit, make it uh, actually a little bit broader. Because of course my my why as the kids were growing up was you know make sure to be you know the best dad I could be for them. And now you know that role is 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 changing, right? So I'm being a dad of a 21 year old is much different from being a dad to a two year old, right? So. Um, so what I find myself thinking about now, and what's motivating, is not only um, you know being an example and and a, a, you know a role model for my kids, but also other other people that might be just starting out in an entrepreneurial career. You know, maybe they're considering getting into real estate, or or maybe they uh, you know they're they've got a great corporate job and they can't do the real estate stuff themselves, but they they see that it's a, a way for them to build wealth and. And maybe you know get out of their rat race, um, you know. So I like to just kind of mentor and uh, those people. You know, unofficially, it's not like I'm a you know guru out there, you know, selling a, a course or anything. But I do have um, some some uh, people that I just talk to from time to time. You know, meet up for coffee. I have a, uh, a young guy here in Philly that I've been a mentor of for, geez, probably. Uh, 10 12 years now and his his business is he's in the residential uh, real estate business which is kind of ironic but i've been kind of mentoring him along the way and uh and his business is thriving and now his little he's got little kids and you know he's able to now you know look at sending them to private school and things like that so so you know it's more of those um uh, you know kind of the whole giving back uh thing jason um has been what's motivated me um Along those same lines, I was able to uh, start a scholarship um, at my alma mater uh, in honor of a classmate of mine, a friend of mine who passed away. Um, so, you know, having the resources to be able to, to do things like that, uh, I think, is really exciting uh, for the next chapter of my life as a you know empty nester and uh, you know wanting to be just you know I want to learn as much as I can so I can give back. Uh, as much right. as I can to to anyone who's willing to listen. <laughs> I
1: I hope they're willing to listen. You've got, you've got a lot to a lot of value to provide, a lot of a lot of um, knowledge and experience that I think people can uh, really get get a great deal from. So um, I love that. I, I I do find with a lot of guests, you know, the, the why shifts over time. A, a lot of times, there's you know some some level of uh, family involvement, but but yeah, I think you know at some point. Um, if you've done things well, then at at some point those kids grow up and don't, don't, not that they don't need you as a, as uh someone, you know, close in their life, but they don't necessarily need quite so much support. And so you, you know, kind of, where do you take that? (laughs) Where do you take that energy? And so it's great to, to be, you know, putting it into those causes. Um, second question, tell us something about yourself that, that, uh, isn't common knowledge, special skill a hobby something just to let the listeners know you a little better
0: that's not common knowledge okay uh well i think a lot of people might know that i'm a golfer but i don't think a lot of people know that um i uh i'm a wannabe uh rock and roll star i uh i grew up playing music uh uh, been playing guitar since I was 11 years old I had the garage band in high school and then of course you know you kind of get into life and you know I still play a little bit now and then but uh, I think now that I am an empty nester um, I have a friend of mine who's in a band and they like just play in local bars and events uh, here outside Philadelphia and uh, I was talking to him like man how'd you you know how'd you get in that I'd love to do that and so he's sort of mentoring me cuz he's he's got a full-time job right he's so he's just kind of doing this on the side but um uh but uh, I think now here in my you know empty nest chapter I think I'm going to be looking to to get back in in front of people and uh, entertaining with little uh, little music I love it I love it I uh, I also had a garage band in the um
1: but at this point my my uh c- guitars are pretty dusty from <laughs> there's a lot a lot going on but yeah I do I definitely uh enjoyed yeah. it and it w- would be at some point I-, I see it as you know my kids get a little bit older they can start learning to play and and mm-hmm. uh, you know I can I can sit with them and and play a little bit it'll be fun
0: um mm-hmm. when people hear this Tom and they want to reach out to you what's the best way Ah, sure, Jason. This has been great, buddy. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Tom Dunkel. I'm the Chief Investment Officer at Bellrose Storage Group. Uh, you can find us at uh, bellrosestoragegroup.com. Uh, you can all, well, oh, I'll, just do a little plug on our on our website. You can find um, an ebook uh, that's free. Uh, it's called the Safe Method. Uh, S A F E is an acronym. Uh, and it's basically a, a, a due diligence checklist for investors out there that are looking at different investments and maybe they're just having a hard time, you know, where do you get started? What questions do you ask? So the safe method is a is a framework for for those questions to get answered so that investors out there can make uh, educated decisions. Uh, so just real quick, S stands for sponsor. So who's running the deal? What's their background, et cetera. A is the asset. What is the asset that you're actually investing in? I would love crypto investors to explain that one to me. Uh, Whereas in self-storage, right? It's a metal box with a concrete floor and a roll-up door. It's not super complicated, but that's the asset. Uh, F is for financials. You know, what are the financial projections? What are the financial implications? What are the, you know, are the, uh, what are the returns? Are they achievable? Are they reasonable? And then E is exit. How do you get out of this thing, right? You can't go to Schwab.com and click, click, click and sell your uh, position in a Belrose Storage Group deal because it just doesn't work that way. But uh, so you need to be comfortable with what the exit strategy is when does it happen? What has to happen for it to happen? <laughs> and those kinds of things. Uh, so that resource is available for free at Belrose Storage Group.com. And you can also find us on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, other cool places. <laughs> All right. We'll we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Um
1: last question for you Tom before I let you go. What piece of advice would you give to someone who is getting started in in real estate? What what it sounds like you're doing some mentoring. So so what do you tell people, you know, kind of to get them get them moving in the right direction?
0: Yeah, great question. So uh this past January I gave a 40-minute uh, talk to about 4 or 500 conference attendees uh more or less about this this subject and to me over my ex- over my career my experience uh when i was uh successful uh i did these three things when i was not successful one of those three things was missing <laughs> so the three things are find a niche get and get really really good at it Number two is build a team around you. We talked a lot about that, Jason with you know, the who not how. And then number three is get educated and get the tools that you need to execute um, on your business plan. Um, so those are the three the three keys. When I was successful, I had all three when when the the ventures that we were on uh, that we tried out where that failed and there were plenty of them, uh, you know, one or more of those three things was missing. So, Make sure you got you know, the team, the niche, and the education and the tools you need. Makes makes total sense. Um, thanks, Tom. Thanks for
1: coming on the show. Thanks for sharing all this. It's been it's been great talking to you. I I appreciate everything and um, you taking the time out today. So so thank you.
0: Thank you, Jason.
1: All right, folks listening, uh, I know you're going to get a lot of value here. So um, please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more great guests like Tom. All right, thanks for listening. or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.